Hey folks, and welcome to Dungeon Casters, the Dungeon Master Advice Show for Rookie DMs by Rookie DMs. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And we're going to help you... Well, we're going to talk about something different today. Uh, we're going to talk about something different. It's not Dungeons & Dragons, which I guess Ooh. I know is kind of special. Also, hi, it's been a little while. We're it's really sorry. Time <laughs> we're really sorry. Uh, things got kind of busy. I didn't know if we were going to talk about why at all, but, you know, just life takes over. I mean, and it, was, it was tough if to... People, if people want to know, they can know, like... Yeah. It happened. Yeah, no, I mean, Ben had school. Yeah. I had moving. Yeah, Scott moved in with his girlfriend, and, you know, I, school was getting just more and more, and I got a part time job, and Scott works full time, and it was just. I got, hard. I got laid off. Oh, and that's then, true. That's true. Got, I got laid off. I got laid off, and then I got a job back with the same company in a different place. That's a, that's a true New Jersey Bruce Springsteen story. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, anyway, so. What I wanted to talk about today is something I alluded to, if anybody watched or listened to, rather, the um, the little kind of teaser video I, I put up like a month ago now, um, and that is Scott's been working on an RPG for a long time. I mean, how long have you been working on this? Uh, what year is it? It's 2018. <laughs> okay, so that means I've been working on this since... Oh my god, 2013. It has been five Jesus years. Jesus Christ, I didn't think it was that long. I started this junior year of college, and that was five years ago. Jesus. <laughs> oh my god. No, 2012. <laughs> it's been six fucking years. <laughs> Shit, oh no. <laughs> uh, completely irrelevant side note, um... Speaking of me feeling really old lately, I currently manage a cafe, um, and one of my servers, I was talking to them about uh, an event I worked at another cafe, and Alec Baldwin was at that cafe, and it, that was the event, and I was like, yeah, Alec Baldwin came, we had tons of people, and dead ass stares me in the face, and she goes, who's Alec Baldwin? <laughs> oh my god. He's not, he's not like, even like out of the public limelight. Like he's no, still a he's major celebrity. Fuck. And she had no idea who he oh, was. Boy. And this is not like a high schooler. This is like an adult I work with. <laughs> no. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. Anyway, so this is a game Scott has been working on for God, six years. And six fucking years. Six years. I don't even remember. I know I played a very early iteration um, and we'll get into what it's called and everything in a minute. But I know I played a very early iteration. I did not realize it was that long ago. And um, so I guess what I wanted to do is I, I just wanted to, like, I don't know, kind of Q&A you about it a little bit. Because I think it's been very interesting to hear you talk about the process of making a game. Because it's something that, like, I have personally, and I think a lot of people, have thought about and toyed with. And especially if you play Dungeons and Dragons and you're a dungeon master and you're already kind of looking at mechanical books and working out big plots and trying to think of cosmologies and stuff like that. At some point you start to feel like you're kind of making your own game, but you always know you're relying back on the rules that Wizards of the Coast put forward. But there's always this this kind of fantasy about, well, if I just change this and change this and change this, I could use this, make my own thing, it'd be this whole separate thing. But for me, it's always been a huge daunting process that I've never really had the courage, I guess, to dip into 
but you did. And I think that it would be interesting to talk about what that process was like, the, the strengths and weaknesses um, of, of starting from scratch, the, the difficulties, the successes, what you got um, from the experience as a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons and what you took from Dungeons and Dragons to the game, what things didn't work, what things did work, all that kind of stuff. So let's start with the basic premise. What's the game called and what is it about? Okay, so before I even go into that, we're okay. gonna we're gonna go way back to why this game exists. <laughs> to seventeen sixty five. All right, so um, for those of you who've been playing D and D a while, um, you might be familiar with three point fives, uh, like modern slash post apocalyptic slash sci fi variant called D twenty modern. Mm-hmm. Um, and those of you who have played it know that it is. Forgive me, wizards, but it's trash. It is utter trash. It is so bad. Um, I played a single campaign in it. It lasted four sessions, and most of us rage quit never to touch the game again. (laughs) Now, I know there are other... There's, like, futuristic uh, RPGs that are good. Like, if you really, really like rolling D6s, there is Shadowrun. You can roll 35 D6s at a time, and it's so much fun if you really like six-sided die. Um, and there's, there's a couple others, notable ones, um, Apocalypse World, mm-hmm. which is a really great system. Honestly, when I read the rule book, the language was so cringy that I couldn't even bring myself to play it. Like, it's, it's a really good system. It's a really narrative, really awesome RP system, but the rule book for Apocalypse World is written, like, so edgelordy yeah. that I could not even bring myself to play it. Yeah. And I know like these are kind of derisive opinions. <laughs> I wait, mean, wait, we haven't done this. Now it's time for derisive opinions. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so uh, alienating any fans <laughs> who have ever played these games and enjoyed them. But like well, we're coming back so thing. hot. <laughs> I know. I'm coming back hard. It's twenty eighteen, the uh, year of me losing all of our fan base. Okay. Um that's good. So, like, I, I saw all these games, I researched all these games, I looked into it, because I'm really into post-apocalyptia, even yeah. more so mm-hmm. than I am into fantasy. Yeah. It is, like, Fallout's my favorite video game, I've watched, like, Mad Max untold amount of times, <laughs> every other post-apocalyptic uh, movie, A Boy and His Dog, and The Road, and all that, I've seen them all, like, a million times, I love that setting, um, mostly because I honestly believe we got like four years and then that <laughs> shit's gonna happen for real so you know it's research for the future right, i'm right, preparing right. um i'm also a pseudo closeted uh doomsday prepper mm-hmm. um which ben can attest to i carry a backpack full of survival gear around with That's me true. at most doing times. That for a very long time um, i have a full first aid kit on me nine times out of ten yeah yeah it's true uh, multiple lighters. I do smoke, but like on top of that, multiple extra lighters in case I ever need to start a campfire because the world ends. Like all sorts of fun stuff like that. So I really, really like uh, post-apocalyptia, uh, doomsday, and that kind of stuff. So I was looking for a good, you know, role-playing game for that, and everywhere I turned, I found them wanting. Like I didn't find one that I really liked, and um, at that time, I had experimented with reskinning Dungeons and Dragons to be a steampunk game and I 
uh, eliminated magic from the game. I made everything mechanical based and like kind of changed, did a lot of in-depth work to change the game. And I mean, it was a train wreck. It didn't work out. Yeah. But it was like cool. And I liked that process of building yeah. a game. So I thought that was a long time know, ago. That was, that was like close to eight or nine years ago, I think. Yes. That was a long time ago. That was when we, we were we, still, we, yeah, we'd like really just started playing we had just started playing. So like, that was something that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to make a game that was more towards my interest. And I do like high fantasy. I love high fantasy, but the post-apocalyptia is a little bit more my speed. Right. So I started researching even more than I had looking into all the game systems. Savage world has a post-apocalyptic system. I started going out of the genre and just looking at all of the role-playing systems and there are some that are simple, there are some that are complex, um, but they're, like, a majority of the world is, and the games are built around the idea of Dungeons & Dragons. Like, Dungeons & Dragons was the first, and a lot of stuff pulls its inspiration from that. Sure. And I kind of wanted to 180. I wanted this to be a game that someone who had never roleplayed before could pick up and play, um, and then I also wanted it to be a game where you didn't have to invest anything. You didn't have to buy polyhedrons. You didn't have to buy books. So when I eventually do get to the point where I'm ready to publish it, my intention is to just dump it on the internet for free um, and just let people play it. The game only uses six-sided dice, a standard deck of playing cards, and maybe a coin. So like any everything you could find in your house if you have a Monopoly board and a poker set, or, like, if you have a deck of playing cards and regular six-sided die, you can play this game. Yeah. Um, so, like, those were, like, kind of two of my beginning overarching ideas. And so the game is called Little Light. Um, there was a time where I was going to call it Lantern Light, and then I switched back uh, based on, like, Facebook polls and the <laughs> fact that Everyone who I'd ever talked to about it already knew the name is Little Light, and they could not get around yeah. changing the name. Yeah. So um, it's Little Light 2399, uh, which is the year it takes place. It's a post-apocalyptic survival game. Um, the idea is the cataclysm, which is like the apocalyptic event, happens in 2020, or 2019 or so, um, and... It's unspecified, so every time you play, every campaign you make, you can have a different flavor, a different theme, kind of make it a different apocalypse. If you want to do a zombie survival, if you want to do a robot overlords, if you want to do a cataclysmic, like, asteroid or natural event, or, like, you know, the standard world collapse, people become animals kind of thing, like, Mm. any kind of uh, apocalyptic scenario is viable, it just is whichever world you design. Um... The other thing when I was designing it, and first off, I wanted it to be simple. So the idea is each player has, like, four stats, and those four stats apply to everything in the world. And it's those stats, a six-sided die roll, and there you go. So the numbers are low, the math is easy, it's a real simplistic game. Um, And so that was kind of, like, the original idea behind it. I had a couple more, like, interesting new ideas in regards to combat that I've since, you know, changed. The game is on its sixth iteration, yeah, yeah, yeah. where I've uh, scrapped the entirety and started from square one. 
Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, like, the game system, aside from the D6s, has changed drastically. But, like, the idea, the simplicity, those four governing stats, and the D6s in the post-apocalypse are, like, have been the only really uniform thing throughout the game. Hmm. So, let me ask you this. So, you you determined that you were going to have a sort of sort of four core stats that determined everything. So, yeah. now, in the game, I know that there is... There is a kind of skill tree, though, right? Yes. Like, there is a skill tree that... It's sort of... If I'm remembering correctly, and again, I might be confusing because there's been so many iterations. The last time I talked to you about it was a little a couple months ago. Um, there, there's it's it's kind of like I, I'm thinking of almost like Dark Souls or something, where in the beginning you pick a class which determines like a basic grouping of stats or a basic grouping of information. Um, but from that point on, you can kind of branch out in whatever way that you really want to. You're not bound to, like, a subclass determined by your class, necessarily. There's not, like, a multi-classing kind of thing. It's pick a, a type of person, but from there you have a kind of free-roam ability to say, like, this is what I want to pursue as this person. Is that correct? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Since we've talked, it's gotten even more vague. Um, so. Oh, you took that out. You, there is no character class. There are no archetypes. That's completely gone. So the idea is... You have your four basic stats, which are skill, moxie, genius, and grit. And those basically water down to moxie is, like, fightiness. Skill is, like, guile, dexterity, stealth, all that kind of stuff. Genius is, like, intelligence, wisdom, charisma, kind of rolled together, uh, to talk in right. D&D terms. And then grit right. is, like, how tough you are in every kind of sense of the word. Um, so you have you have those four stats. Um, there's a couple different ways you can assign numbers to those stats. You can do a point-by system. You could do a generic spread. Or you can roll dice to see what your numbers are. And then, essentially, the skill tree works the same way, like, a level-up tree works in any game um, where... Instead of having a level up like, oh, you're level two, you get this ability. It's like, oh, you're a new level, you can take right. a new skill on this tree anywhere you yeah. want. So you start yeah, yeah. from the middle and you kind of branch out. And you can, I mean, you can push in multiple directions. You can specify, uh, like specialize <laughs> like really hard in one direction. So it's the kind of thing where like, you can make your guy who's like, I'm good at one thing and one thing only, and that's what I do, right. but if that ever comes up, we don't have to worry about it. Or you can do the jack-of-all-trades, and you're like, yeah, right. I'm kind of good at so, a lot of stuff, but like, I'm not great now, at anything. I think that from a, from a bird's-eye view, that sounds, like you said, really simple. And it's designed to be simple. It's designed to be something that, at first glance, at least, is very understandable. Or at least, like, easily recognized. You know, four things. Yes. Really not a lot to worry about. The the, the wordage kind of sounds like, oh, I want to be skillful, I want to be gritty, I want to, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I know that that's a system that has changed 
a lot of times over the years. So what were some of the difficulties of making yes. that system and making a system that sort of looks simple but operates in a big way? Yeah, and in a very diverse way. In an advanced way. Yeah. Um, well, and the thing with that is it's been years and years of redesigning these ability trees and stuff and making new ideas and like constantly revising everything um, and creating all of these abilities. And a lot of it has been like piecemeal. Like I have an idea for like a really cool uh, thief, steely uh, skill kind of ability. So I build a branch in the tree for that leading up to it in, you know, more intensive or less intensive kind of ways. Or like I have this cool idea for a system where like, for example, uh, there's a proficiency system with all weapons. So in order to effectively use any weapon, you have to have a proficiency in it. So in the moxie tree, which is basically your combat you know, side of the tree, certain abilities unlock like a singular proficiency, or other abilities unlock like large amounts of proficiencies. So you can kind of be like, oh, I'm good at just like shooting every kind of gun. Or you can be like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm good at shotguns and shotguns only. So, like, it's the ability of having, like, the two options of being, like, I'm good at this in general, or, like, I'm really good at this specific thing. Um, there's been a lot of rebuilding, a lot of, like, curbing, and kind of like, oh, this ability worked out too well when I playtested it. Like, it was too powerful, so I have to harness it down. Um, uh, the big, also, the other big thing was, like, because Moxie is combat, right. and in most, you know, pen and papers, combat's a huge part of the game, it was hard to make yeah. the other sides of the tree yeah. as important as the Moxie tree. Um, the one way I've done that is, like, the game has equal aspects, survival, role-playing, and combat. So, similarly to a, uh, like, Numenera, combat's not the end-all game, like, the end-all be-all. There's combat, it can be avoided at all costs, you, like, there's heavy penalties to getting in combat, because resources and health are very, very rare, so, like, if you do get in fights a lot, you're gonna, it's not gonna work out for you, so you have to find other ways around it, so it does encourage players to kind of jump into the, like, oh, I can be stealthy and I can help everyone avoid this combat, or I can be charismatic and I can talk my way out of it, and that's, you know, in the intelligence side, or, like, I can be in the grit side and, like, a sandstorm's coming and I know how to build a shelter now, so, like, we can just hide in the shelter and the right. sandstorm so, will take care of the enemies kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. I, we, I, so, the last time we talked about the game, you had just play-tested it, um... It was fairly recently, and and that is something that you encountered as a as a problem. Is yes, D and D is so ubiquitous as the role playing game experience that your players, despite so so you had pre built four characters for your players just to sort of streamline everything, and only one of them was mm -hmm. really combat oriented in a major way, and because of the way the game works not being yes. hyper-specialized puts you at a disadvantage in certain situations. It's a little like like older editions of D&D &D were like, 
you were you you again like you said you can sort of when you play your own game you can build your character however you want but in this particular case it was like older editions of dungeons and dragons where you had um like very set skills and like this is what i'm good at but like don't ask me to do the other thing necessarily so your players were because their only experience had been D &D yeah. and games like D, D, they kind of assumed you had to engage in combat and there was nothing else to do um and so i mean i remember you talking about how you were trying to come up with ways and we talked about ways that you could like try to navigate that problem because that's that's not entirely a mechanical problem right i mean that's that's like a that's a setup problem in a lot of ways. No, well, well, there's there was a couple issues with that scenario. I want to paint y'all a quick little word picture here. Um, they were in the ruins of a flooded city. Um, they were about knee deep in like gross fetid water, and they got attacked by like. If anyone's played The Witcher Three, uh, Drowners, they're like aquatic zombies. That was essentially what they were attacked by. And there was, like, a character who was good at scavenging, and so he had a ton of gear that he had found along the way, and he had, like, a really powerful gun, but he sucked at using guns. So every time he tried to shoot someone, he missed. And, like, um, there was a character with a bow and arrow who read his character sheet wrong and thought he only had one arrow, so he refused to shoot his bow... Mm -hmm. Because he didn't want to lose his one arrow. Um, there was a character who was, like, good at talking. And she had earlier found a corpse and just, on a whim, decided to keep a piece of the corpse for, you know, poops and yeah. giggles, right? And, like, she just had, like, a severed arm in her bag. And she used that and, like, threw it. Because she was, you know, a genius, like, an intelligence uh brain-based character, so she was just like, oh, I'm just gonna throw this rotting arm, and the zombie's gonna chase it like a dog playing fetch, and it worked, she just didn't right. roll that well, so only, like, one of the zombies ran away after it, um, and then there was a combat character who was, like, you know, fine in the combat, but he was melee, and he was, like, it's a gun-based game, so he was, like, right up in these zombies' faces, and they kind of, like, did the surround him, kick his ass, take his wallet kind of thing, like, kicking him on the ground. So he got, like, beaten up pretty bad. Um, and, like, so from a GM perspective, like, from my perspective running it, there are a couple things I could have done better, i.e. when that one character was missing, I could have instead said... You know, he was hitting, right. it was just not effective, instead of giving him the frustration right. of, like, missing attack after attack after attack. Um, and the <laughs> with one arrow, maybe I could have been a little more clear about his inventory and what he had. Um, like, in my defense, he uh, did not read his character sheet very well. But, like... And also, I kind of railroaded them, because it was a playtest, directly into this combat. So, like... Traditionally in the sure. game, yeah. they would have been able to had an opportunity to avoid it. So I kind of forced a group of non-combat characters into a combat, which like doesn't isn't con conducive to the way the game's built. Combat is like kind of a last resort because there is no health points. There's no way to level up your HP. Yeah. I mean, you can get more pieces of armor, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's an encumbrance. Um, <laughs> so like the bottom line is. 
you have a set amount of health. Regardless of if you are level a million or level one, if you get shot in the head with a gun, you die. There's no, like, ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, like, yeah, you have to play smart. You can't just, like, you know, be used to Dungeons & Dragons where, regardless of what everyone says, every Dungeons & Dragons class is a combat class. All of them yeah. are made to fight a lot. All of them are made for combat. That's why, like... A bard still has a decent base attack bonus. Oh yeah. Or oh, no, I mean they five terminology. Their health, but, like, all the health you know, points they have still been boosted have, up. Everybody has have, damage dealing cantrips you know, if they're if they're spellcasters or damage dealing abilities. Like a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> a lot of the bard's sort of early spells deal with at the very least um, boosting saving throws and boosting damage output, boosting AC. Um, I mean, Vicious Mockery, which is a damage-dealing spell, is, like, one of the most sort of used and beloved bard spells. And, like, the bard is, like, I mean, maybe not the quintessential support exactly. class, but it's, like, firmly in the support category. Well, and here's the main difference between Little Light and D&D, &D in my eyes, is, like, so when you say support class when you are referencing Dungeons & Dragons... It means yeah. a class that is there to support combatants. So, like, either you're a fight class in the sense of, like, you have 80% of the spells are damage dealing, 15% are healing, and the other 5% are, like, situational spells, right? Maybe right. those statistics are off, but it's somewhere in that ballpark, right? Um, so even if you're a caster, you're still combat-based right. or healing and supporting combat characters, so, like, a support class is someone who's like, oh, I'm going to help them fight, right? In Little Light, it's more of, like, one out of every four characters is like, yeah, I'm the fighty guy. But, like, a skill-heavy character in Little Light is going to be, like, a thief, and not in, like, a Dungeons & Dragons rogue sense, but in a sense of, like, oh, no, like, I literally am, like, scrawny and fast, and I don't fight people, but I can, like steal a lot of shit, or, like, hide, or, yeah. like, you know, get something done subtly. And, like, a genius class is, like, no, I don't have, you know, necessarily, like, any way to fight these guys with my brain, but I have ways to outsmart them, I have ways to um, outmaneuver them, and then grit-based characters are, like, yeah, I'm tough, but not, like, necessarily in a, like, I can take a lot of bullets tough, more in a sense of, like, I can weather the storm, and I know how to, like, survive, so if we want to circumnavigate that group of raiders through yeah, the I mean, dangerous it sounds much nature, like I can do that for you. You know, like, like where everyone has, like, their own specific skill set, and, and it seems weird, because yes. I, I do think that with Dungeons & Dragons, because there's such a focus on combat... And obviously not equally, but everybody can engage with combat in relatively the same way. <coughs> Pardon me. That it, it sort of lends itself to this question, like, it, it begs this question, like, in most cases, why would you do anything else? Right? Because, like, we've talked about this, like, we're not that right. big on the combat system because we think it's very slow and partially that's because we always end up playing with really big groups. And when we've played with less people, it certainly goes faster and everything. But we've always mm -hmm. found it to be a little kind of 
it's it's a little stale to just us personally. It's not like our first choice of entertainment. Um, but it <clears throat> because the game has so many abilities focused on it, and because the repercussions for engaging in combat don't seem to be that big, it's it's even if combat takes a while, it seems like the shortest distance between two points most of the time. You know, it's to beat it with a big stick because you always have a well, not always, but it's to beat you, know, it with you a can big have a healer stick. on hand. You can get a healer. You can get health potions. <coughs> Excuse me, my allergies are just killing me this year. Um, I'm sorry. I know. Very I know. I feel so man. bad. This is our first episode <laughs> back, and you're so coughing up a storm. This anyway, is um, so you have this problem of of like, you know, you could sneak around the whole compound. You could go through this elaborate plan, but you're you almost just seem like you're reducing the effectiveness. Of your strategy, you're making it harder for yourself by just not like fighting everything you come near as quietly as possible and as quickly as possible. <coughs> but if yeah. in this game, provided everybody isn't playing a combat specific class, which frankly seems kind of unlikely because it is one of many skill trees that you can go down, and to me, by far not the most interesting to me personally. Yes. Um, I wouldn't like just I just wouldn't choose a combat class. I might choose to be like proficient enough with a gun that I wouldn't die. But I think it forces the players a little bit and the GM to present a scenario as something that like if you enter combat, like you can do that. But this isn't like you can't teleport out of here. There's no shield spells. If to get healed up, it's going to be a hassle. And so, and so, in in a way, the the, yeah. the more elaborate plan that uses a diversity of skills and tactics is the shortest distance between two points. And I don't think Dungeons and Dragons necessarily enforces that. It like encourages that kind of thinking. But players are players, and in any game, I mean, tabletop video games, like there's there's room, of course, for just like what the player finds most fun. But in a group setting where everybody is trying to like do a thing together, yeah, it usually kind of reduces to this single sort of lowest common denominator of what would be like the easiest way to go through this. And if everyone can heal up, you know, it usually means just like punch it till it dies. Um, yes. Well, and and that's the thing is like I. Um, that's why Little Light is a little bit more... The game for the player is a little bit simpler. The game for the sure. GM can be a little bit more complex sometimes. Um, because, like, you really have to tailor your campaign to your party. So, like, if you're doing, like, a Mad Max... Um, whatchamacallit? Like, Road Warrior kind of campaign yeah. where everyone's on, like, souped-up cars oh, and, like, God, motorcycles and, like... You got Lenny playing in the background, just like, if you like to gamble, I'll tell you all the thing. So, like, if, like, Motorhead playing the entire campaign, and you don't have anyone that has put any skill into driving vehicles, yeah. which is a part of the level-up tree if you choose yeah, to Yeah, you'll be only playing road, for 20 minutes, and they will die. It's going to your party. And, like, they're not going to have fun, because... Yeah. Exactly, because <laughs> no one knows how to drive a car, and it's a car-based campaign, so it's right, just kind of like... Now, which one's the right? Does anyone know how to drive sticks? No? Shield. 
And like, I mean, that sounds silly to us because, you know, part of our culture is being taught how to drive. But in the idea of this like post-apocalyptic world, yeah, having a car is like a huge privilege and having someone to teach you how to drive it is an even larger privilege. So like, if your character has never seen or like been yeah. in a car before, I mean, that, that, they're that not going to know how to operate about, it. About like narrative Just like, styles of games because... I, and I'm guilty of this, you know, there's a very, there's a mentality, I think, among a lot of people, like, make whatever character you want that you'll find fun, and I'll just put you in the campaign world. And that kind of sounds good, you know, at its initial blows, but there is, like, if you think about something like Mad Max, it's like, Mad Max wouldn't really be a very good movie if Max couldn't drive, right? Like... I mean, he, he'd he probably he'd probably be mad uh, about no, not being it wouldn't able to be drive, a movie. He would have gotten run over. <laughs> be an hour of, of, of exactly. Max it just would, kicking would, his yeah, tires. Yeah, he'd be a lot more but mad. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's true to a point, well, it's true to a lot of points, that if you, if your players aren't good at something, if, if they create characters that are focused elsewhere, you know, it's like if you have a social party and you throw them into a zombie pit, it's like, well, what did you expect them to do? I mean, die, I guess. So with exactly, you can't. You can't talk to zombies. So like, if you have if you have that social based party, if you have like a couple charisma people or all charisma people kind of thing in your party, yeah. you throw them against human beings or things that can yeah. reason. So that way, they have the option to reason with them. Um, if you have a yeah. bunch of like survivalists, you throw them against nature. Because that's what they're equipped to deal with. And, like, yeah, sometimes that's boring if you just, like, oh, everyone's good at this thing, so you're going to do this thing that you're good at, yeah. and then there's no challenge. So sometimes it's good to turn that on their head and, like, have um, a group of people that are not outdoorsy, that grew up in cities, right? But now they have to survive in the wilderness and see how they would use their talents and skills that they have to yeah. survive in the world so, and see what kind of creative shit they uh, can Going up. back to the game, so you've been dungeon mastering a long, long time. Like, you were the first one in our group to do it, and you'd played mm -hmm. a little bit before that. So, were there things at the outset when you were designing this game that you said, like, I know what this should be like, I know how this is going to work, and, and you were right about them? Like, you just were like, <laughs> this should be like this, and that was, like, concrete from more or less day one or was there nothing that was really like stabilized by your previous knowledge um there was there was a few things uh that were stabilized now the level up tree has always existed in some form of another um there have been like at one point there were archetypes where you kind of get like level one your mm -hmm. abilities are chosen for you, and then after that, you're free to go. But that level up freedom and that tree has always been a thing and has always been incredibly important um, and really, really valid to the game. Uh, a couple other things is, like, the combat system, although it has changed, D6s has stayed the whole time, and there's always been this aspect in the game, um, one of the main game mechanics is called clashing. Um, or it's, it's what I have titled it, and it's essentially if you are your character is rolling against an opposing force that is actively opposing you, instead of like 
you know, a dice check in D&D where the GM has, I have a number in my head, it's a DC 15, you have to beat a 15. I have a number and I roll a D6 and you have your skill and you roll a D6. So there's a piece of chance on mm-hmm. both sides of the contest. So like every time you attack, you roll a D6 to attack, but your enemy also rolls a D6 to defend or to avoid. So the idea is, because I'm using D6s, it's a smaller dice. The percentages are much lower. Um, So you have like a 1 in 6 chance instead of a 1 in 20 chance, right, of hitting a certain number. So because of that, there's a bit of chance on each side. And the idea for that is like, the way I see it, if you are shooting, you know, a pistol at a guy on the other side of a room, you have, you know, the role to figure out the randomness of life, the aspect of chance. Maybe they're gun jams, maybe you shoot poorly, maybe you twitch, maybe you get distracted. Like, that's why you roll the dice. Because, like, if regardless of if you're competent in this weapon or not, there's always a bit of chance. Now, the person on the other side of the room... Maybe they trip and stumble out into the open. Maybe they have that gut reaction to dive back behind the wall. Maybe um, they get distracted and kind of just stand out in the open. So, like, there's also a degree of chance to defense mm-hmm. as well. And so it's not just one steady yeah. number. It's not like, like, unlike D&D where there's an armor class, you have a steady defense number. I think of defense as, a, as fluid as attacking. So that's why it's, you know, roll versus roll. Um, and also I think a lot of things like that are like in a conversation. It's not a, I don't have like on a, on a personal level, a set amount of right, insight right. that I use when I'm trying to figure out if someone's lying to me. It depends on the person. It depends on how I'm feeling that day. It depends on the situation we're in. So the fact that there is, you know, an aspect of chance to both sides of a conflict at all times is why we have the clashing system. And that has been constant throughout the whole game. It's always been a D6 right. for a D6 whenever there are opposed forces. Um, The other, in addition to like that, the level up system, the world Mm. map has actually not changed throughout the entirety of the design process. It was one of the first things I did. I like took a North American map. um, I had divvied it up into regions um, and it has not changed once. The culture of the regions also has not changed at all, which is like surprising considering how much work I've done on the mechanics of the game and how much I normally go like I go in and hard for world building. I just I don't know what I it, Hmm. it just like clicked and locked in. And for six years, these regions have been the same, the same culture, the same ideas. They've been more flushed out over time. And there has been like slight alterations to like the names of settlements and stuff like that. But the idea behind all these regions has stayed the same. Which has been pretty cool because, like, it has allowed me to work on the culture and the world of this game for six years. Now, I said, you know, earlier that I left, I leave everything vague so you can design your own apocalypse. And so my idea with this is I have essentially a rule book that is dry as fuck and filled more than half with, like, charts and tables and just, like, spreadsheets. It is one of the most, like, boring fucking books ever, right? But reading it is how you learn how to play the game. And, like, most of those charts are, like, just lists of gear, equipment, and items that exist in the world. so that's something I Um, 
wanted to ask you about too, and we've talked about this because it has been a kind of weird issue in a lot of respects, both as a mechanic in game and in just like a player understanding issue. So your game is, is much more grounded in reality than like Dungeons and Dragons is. I mean, there's like monsters and zombies and stuff, yes. but largely what you're against is like the natural world, a reasonably kind of realistic apocalyptic scenario, people with guns and makeshift weapons and cars and stuff like that, right? So that gives you the benefit yes. of having like a, a pretty enormous and impactful uh, range of of objects and scenarios to put in the game because you can be like, oh, like people have guns, I can put guns, people have cars, I can put cars, people have knives, I can put knives in, so on and so forth. But I think the other, the difficulty that comes with that is in giving people, 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 okay, if, if you have, the guns is really what I'm going to aim at here because this has been a kind of back and forth the whole time. Guns have always been kind of tricky in role-playing games to begin with because they're extremely powerful long-range weapons, which are, like, yes. some of the hardest things to balance because it's like, well, what stops anybody from getting the best one and just having fights at 300 feet, you know? So there's that. But I think also with the difficulty of, of yeah. um, this game is because there's so many types of guns in our world. There's so many types of guns over so many eras that... There are yes. some that, like, are just objectively yes. better than others at, like, more things. There's ones that are just more yeah. intuitive, ones that are easier to maintain, ones that, like... And then there's... They're, they're built for purposes. So you have all these different scenarios in which this one is the best one for this reason. And so there's a lot of variables to take into account, but also it seemed like you didn't want to just say like pistols because like there's a crap load of pistols. There's so many kinds of pistols and it's like, the, you know, like, like well, your average, like nine millimeter handgun is not the same as a Magnum, even though they're sort of classed in the same area and the same with rifles and the same with assault weapons and the same with, with any real classification of gun is that they fall in the same category, but they are not the same. And so I know that there was a point where, the chart that had the weapons on it was like half the book because you just like included everything because you're like, well, these are all real things. There's no particular reason why somebody wouldn't have yeah. found one or built one or maintained one. But, and people are going to ask like, well, if you're going to put this in, why not put this in? Like that's just as likely to exist. So, I mean, what, what were the hurdles? And I mean, how did you, if you've even done it yet, exactly overcome the difficulty of, not putting in an encyclopedia, I guess. Um, yes. So here's the thing: is actually you personally. Oh, good. I don't remember that, but I'm the glad the reason it was I me. redesigned this whole system <laughs> because. Um, so when I originally designed yeah, like the weapons, usually system, are the melee weapons were yeah. easy. <laughs> it's like the shit you could find in your yeah. tool shed, right? Fireman's Bucket. axe, baseball bat. <laughs> You know, yeah. a hatchet, dagger, yeah. like a rock, like just shit you could find, right? So that was easy and done, and it, it was I was done with it. Um, 
explosives, which is like another tier in the weapons, was also pretty easy because it's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like there's a name brand Molotov cocktail, yeah. right? It's like you fill a glass yeah. bottle with gasoline and stuck a handkerchief in the top, and bam. So like the idea with like different kinds of bombs is like I just yeah, sure. arbitrarily made some bombs yeah. more effective than others, and it doesn't matter because it's a game. It really doesn't matter that like oh no, I said that like. A shaped demolition charge <laughs> is not more effective than a block of C4, and even though it, like, technically <laughs> is based on chemistry, it's a fucking game, so it doesn't matter, right? Um, so, like, those two aspects of weapons were done easy, and I didn't have to worry about them anymore. The guns were a bear. It was, like, a massive issue. And the one thing that you made me realize is that oh, I have, like, yeah. no, a I do weirdly vast knowledge of firearms... <laughs> For for no reason other than, like, I play video games, yeah. and when I was a kid, I was really into playing, like, Army Man. So, like, I have, like, this vast <laughs> array of, like, not even, like, useful information on firearms, but just, like, aesthetic information on firearms. Like, if you showed me a picture of, like, an HK-416 and an Abrams M4A1, I could tell you the difference between those two. I'm pretty sure one of those... I, I think, I think like even I can tell you the difference between those two. The metaphor <laughs> got lost there. One of these is a handgun. One of these is a tank. But like, Do you know the difference? Well, well, like, I could tell the difference between, like, an HK416 yeah. and an XM8 and an AK-47 and an M16. Right. Like, those are four right. different assault rifles. I know the difference between them aesthetically. I know the difference between them, like, if I look at them. Ben <laughs> no, clearly no showed to me, like, he didn't know what the difference was. So I had a list of, like, firearms that I had, you know, ranked essentially by, like, um, how old they were, how uh, widely used they were, and how, like, effectively they were right. reviewed in regards to, like, their stats and how good they were in the game. And, like, Ben was just like, yeah, I don't know the difference <laughs> between any of these. I just see, like, a collection of letters and numbers, yeah. and I know, oh, that one has the highest numbers, so it's the best one. And I was like, that defeats the whole purpose, because the reason I had all these names in here was like, oh, so you know what you're holding, you know what it looks like. And, like, yes, a player can, sure. you know, pop open their phone and look up, like, what this gun looks like. <laughs> but, like, yeah. that's dumb and unnecessary. Um, so, like, my whole thing was, all right, and also, like, honestly, shooting someone in the chest with a more accurate or more um, well-built assault rifle than a lesser-built assault rifle is still going to do the same amount of damage. Like, a bullet is a fucking bullet. And that's why there's no health in the game. That's why, like... The gun stats are super arbitrary. They right, have to right, exist right. because, you know, it is a game and you have to be able to have a progression. But, like, it is very arbitrary. So what I did was I had all these names, right? I had, like, name brand names for these. Like, I was going, like, harder than Call of Duty does. Where <laughs> Call of Duty does that bullshit yeah. where they, like, make up fake guns that look exactly yeah, yeah, like yeah. real guns. So they don't have to worry about copyright. Like, I was just, like... Screw copyright. I'm not charging people for this game. I've only played it with my friends. I'm just going to use real names. And then I realized that, like, first off, that's going to be problems down the road. Yeah. And second off, like, no one knows what these real m names mean. 
no one gives like no <laughs> like except for like weirdo nerds like me no one gives a shit right so i changed them all so now that's like every weapon is just like a generic name and like as you get more powerful in each weapon right. category the names of the guns make them sound better so it'll be like it'll be like junk yeah. rifle assault rifle battle rifle um yeah. carbine rifle futuristic rifle so it's like the kind of thing where it's like i don't know if anyone played mercenaries playground of destruction for the playstation yeah. 2 or the xbox but like that's how they did their weapons there was like the assault rifle which was an ak-47 but they just called it assault rifle and then there was the carbine rifle which was an m16 and it just looked better it looked nicer it worked better it was a better gun and then they had like the futuristic uh, rifle which was an hk or uh the G36, and that one looked even fancier, so that one was even better. And so, like, that's the new idea, is it's like, yeah, Grandpa's sawed-off shotgun is still a good old-fashioned double barrel that's gonna shoot someone, but, like, this, like, riot police shotgun is clearly better, it looks prettier, and it's, like, nicer, and, like, that's the basic idea with the guns, is that, like, the better it looks, <laughs> the cooler it sounds, yeah, the I, better it know, is, and the cooler it is. And I know we talked about you know, when any when anybody plays a game, when any group plays a game, when anybody decides to run a game, they're gonna bring their likes and wants and needs to that game. So I think it's valuable that you could include an extensive table of all these weapons because there's people who are gonna want to play this game and be like, ooh, like there's room in this game for a very realistic survival experience that I could do like based on our real world completely i could take all the monsters out just put people and and this could be like a very like military oriented game and i could have all these weapons and stuff like that and so i think your ability to include that 100%. kind of information is valuable to um widening the number of people who will enjoy the game and find use in its system but i i do think that you know for for the the general population who like me sees like a gun and it's like well it looks I, I know it doesn't look the same but i couldn't tell you in any sort of detailed way why it's different so i'm just gonna be looking at numbers and picking like the biggest numbers and and that isn't that isn't necessarily exactly. the reason to do something as a player because like it, it's, it's there's no immersion in just like Ooh, it has well, the biggest number. Exactly. You know. Exactly, and you also you also just you know made a very good point. Like yes, a intensive, like very knowledgeable, heavy immersion survival kind of player would want to do that for that game, and they have the complete right to reskin and change the names to real guns, and like they can intuit whatever gun they want, but like. The, one of the main parts that I right. talked about with this game was making it a game for beginners. A game that, like, you don't need the background information to play. You need to be vaguely familiar with what the term post-apocalypse means. Right. But other than that, like, you don't need any previous information. So, with that, that's why I redesigned the guns. That's why I made them all generic, is because, like, even if you don't know anything about guns, right, you can basically, like the most simple gun knowledge a person has would be like, oh, that's right. a rifle because it's longer, and that's a pistol because it's shorter. Yeah. Like, or that's a handgun. It fits in your hand. That makes sense. Um, so, like, it's the kind of thing where, like, that's what I wanted it 
boiled down to so that, like, you don't have to know the difference between a FN57 and an yeah, M1911 yeah, 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 and and I, and I to be able to play the game. GM, it can be so exciting to, like, there's this principle in writing that, like, details make the story, right? Like, it is in, like, the expert knowledge of the details that make the yeah. story come alive. That's, like, a principle, but I've always believed that there's kind of a hard cap on that because you either say, like, I'm writing this exclusively for people who know as much about this as I do, in which case this will make sense to them, And mm -hmm. but you also run the risk of it not necessarily being interesting because they know it all, but if you want it to appeal to a different audience, a potentially maybe wider audience, you have to accept that they that you're gonna have to dumb it down you're gonna have to know enough to make it make sense like it will have to interact in a specific way you know these guns act differently and that's important to them and that's important to the players understanding them in the world they're in and why they would use it and what their favorite is but the the esoteric differences between them don't necessarily make for a richer story and i feel like this is a problem that i butt up against when i uh, run a game like, I'll give you an example. Right now, the game I'm running with, with most of our group um, is pirate-themed, right? And so I just kind of started it. Yeah, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. We haven't gotten to play very much just because of timing. But we're playing again in, like, three weeks or something. It's been, like, two months. I don't even know. But but I, I was like, I'm going to, like, start reading books about pirates, this, this right here, Scott, you can't see this at home. This is the second of the books that I have tabbed like this. <laughs> All right, so Ben has about 75 uh, post-it tabs in a player's handbook-sized yeah. hardback titled, about uh, just pirate history. The Pirates. Titled. The Pirates. It's called The Pirates. I don't pirates, know who it's pirates, by pirates. if anybody's interested. The Seafarers, The Pirates, <laughs> Douglas Bodding. It's part of the Time Life book series. Anyway, um, but I was going through, I was like, oh, this stuff is so cool. Like, this is great information. And I was like, there's a point at which I won't be able to include all this because now I have, like, way too much insider knowledge and no one's going to know what the fuck I'm talking about if I don't explain what it is. Like, if I just start using terms that are specific, I, I mean, you know, very pirate-oriented, very of the time and everything, but I... Nobody knows what they are because they haven't read these two fucking compendiums that I've read. Then it the, the sort of the story still falls apart. So I, th I think as a general rule for people running games, it is important to recognize that like you knowing a lot is important to you being able to create a cohesive experience. But you can't leave your players in the dark because then they're not getting the experience you want them to have anyway. And that's that's not fair or fun. Exactly, and like this is the thing. The more content knowledge, to you, you know, to use kind of a broad term here, that you have to educate your players on, and that you have to spend time explaining, yeah. the less you're actually playing the game, which is something that you know you don't want to bother with. You want to be able to play the game and experience the game, and having a rich, detailed, intensive game is awesome and important. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. so is actually playing it. Um, so you want to, you know, you want to make sure they have that available. Now, 
we're just about at the hour mark and I have to pee like a racehorse. Sure. So we're going to take a quick two minute break um, or yeah, one it depends week break, how long depend, we talk, but, depending uh, on if we split this into we'll, two uh, episodes. We'll stop it here. And if you don't hear back from us, we'll see you in a few weeks. Achilles and News Sting by Kevin McLeod of Acompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons.